Hello and welcome to episode 95 of Africa Past and Present, the podcast about African history, culture, and politics. I'm Peter Alegi. And I'm Peter Lim, and our guest today is Geniu Akinloe Jimo, whose pen name is Jimga. He is assistant lecturer and a PhD candidate in the Department of Creative Arts at the University of Lagos. He holds a BA and MA in graphics design and art history from there. His publications include Our National Flag, Art and Socio-Political Realities, published in Lagos in 2013, and Laglaughs, also published in Lagos this year, as well as an article comparing Nigerian and South African cartoonists in the well-known International Journal of Comic Art in 2014. He is actually both a popular cartoonist in Nigeria and a scholar of cartoons and has exhibited locally and internationally, including a brand new exhibition beginning on October the 1st in the International Centre here at Michigan State University with a reception that day. In addition, his cartoons have been dramatically adapted for the stage by the Crown Troupe of Africa. A very warm welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You have a unique background, Jim Guys, both a popular cartoonist and a cartoon scholar, a practitioner and an analyst. How and why did you become a cartoonist? And can you share with the listeners how you transformed this personal passion into a professional career? Wow, thank you so much. I want to say that the passion to actually express the sociopolitical hills in my society has actually been part of me since um, the, when I was still very, very young. When I was in, year, in the second year in the university, one of our, our professors, that is um, the late Chief Bassi, is, is dead now. He died in 2012. Chief Bassi of blessed memory actually gave us um, some assignments on cartooning. Luckily, he was also a cartoonist when he was young. Yeah, he studied at the, uh, in Italy, actually. He studied uh, design and communication. So and he was a cartoonist. So he gave us an assignment on cartooning and... When I did that, he actually brought mine out and said, wow, uh, you are going to be a cartoonist. And I was so excited. I was like, Asad, did you see anything very interesting in what I've done? He said, don't worry, you're going to be a cartoonist because I've seen some things that you've actually represented in these um, works. So, and since then, that actually sparked uh, a light in me and gave me that confidence that, wow, that means somebody has actually recognized what I've wanted to express. So in the third year, I started experimenting with my cartoons. Then I, I'm also a fan of um, the late fella Nicola Pokuti because I love his music. He's highly didactic and satirical in nature. Also, when I was very, very you know, young, I was introduced to this book by uh, George Howell, that is Animal Farm. And that book, um, you know, I, it took me a very long time to know that that book was a fiction you know, when I was very, very young. You know, my sister's boyfriend gave me that book and said, ah, Ganil, you know, I know you like this book. Just take it and read it. And then he read it to me. And I thought there was a time I went to him. I said, did this animal kingdom, did it really exist? That I really like to go there and see the animals and see how they feel. And he was, he laughed and said, no. And he explained how that particular book is actually a kind of the mirror of um, the sociopolitical realities in a particular country. And I was like, wow, if somebody can, 
you know, take what is actually happening in reality and put it in Animal Kingdom. And it's like this person is actually a genius. Then I would like to be somebody like that, somebody that will appropriate something, you know, in reality, then take that into another space for interrogation. And that really, you know, sparked that light in me. It's like I said, it took me a while because uh, there is something very, very funny that happened while I was reading that book. I actually, I kept two rats as, as pets in my house. You understand? So <laughs> I, you know, I, I was keeping them and, you know, out of the, you know, nobody knew I was keeping them. And, you know, in Africa, it's, you know, rats are not supposed to be, you know, staying, <laughs> you understand, in the house with anybody and all that. So... There was a particular time when those rats were actually causing nuances and my father just came in that day and said, whoa, a rat's in my house, okay, I'll buy rat poison. And so whenever he puts that rat poison at the corner of the room, I'll go and remove it because I knew I was the one keeping the rats. So at the long run, you know, the poison caught them one of the days, you know, and I, I was weeping, actually. Then there, was, there is also a film I saw that time as well. So it's about rats as well. You know, I, I, I forgot the film. And what I'm just trying to say is that I'm, I, when I was younger, I was a kind of person that, you know, tried to separate reality from fantasy, you know, from, the, from, from dreams. You know, sometimes I'll just dream about something. Then when I wake up, I feel I want that thing to really exist. Then I draw that particular scene. So that has been part of me. So connecting back to when I was in Lions Institution, you know, in my second year, like I said, the assignment actually is the kind of what I was actually prepared for. And the assignment actually gave me that opportunity to express myself. So that was how I started. So then after the assignment, like I said, you know, I got enough um, confidence to express myself in cartooning. Then I have always been somebody, you know, that um, fight for the right of, you know, my colleagues in school, right from, you know, even right from primary school. I've started bearing that name, Jimga, so, and that is why it is even more known than Ghani Ujimo. So, where, where does that name, Jimga, come from? Okay, yeah, it was also as a result of an assignment, you know, that was given to us by our high school fine art teacher. So, he, just, he told us to design a package and use our trade name for that package. Ah. And people started using different names. I just like, okay, my son name is Jimo, my name is Ganiu. Okay, let me, I used Jim Ga A. It used to be Jim okay. Ga A. Okay. So then later, people couldn't, you know, call the Jim Ga A fully. They were like, Jim Ga, Jim Ga, Jim Ga. And that's how the Jim Ga started, you know, Jimo Ganiu. So as I was saying, I was fully involved in um, campus activism. So when I was in um, IA institution, in year three, I started expressing the political realities of the Nigerian state right from year three. Because I remember there was a time I put one of my cartoons, you know, on the wall of the faculty, on the notice board. So, and, you know, some people saw it, some lecturers, you know, saw it, and the dean of the faculty saw it. And he had to call me, you know, remove the cartoon and call the attention of my HOD. That, who is this Jim Ga? Who is this person that put this cartoon there? Because that cartoon... I criticized the president. And that particular time, the, it was, um, was Olusha Gombasanjo that was actually on, in, in power that particular time. And there was something he did about, uh, maybe I forgot that particular incident this, I mean, this time around. So he did something and I criticized. I was like, no, this is not supposed to be. And I drew a comical you know, image of Olusha Gombasanjo and some other things. I personified some hills of the society into bins. So, you know. So, and when the dean saw it, and he called my HOD, and my HOD called my head of unit, 
So, and uh, fortunately, my head of unit, who happens to be my supervisor now, my PhD supervisor, she's an artist, so an art historian. So, and she was like, she told the dean then that, no, this, this boy is expressing himself and he's an artist. How do you, but the boy is saying the right thing. What the? So the dean now said, okay, this is what we'll do, you know. This is a federal institution. We are not supposed to be saying something about something wrong about the uh, federal government. Okay, don't worry, don't worry. So then the dean felt bad because he, f he felt that, okay, if he actually stopped me from doing that, can kill the passion in me. So it was not like, okay, don't worry, be doing your cartoon, but make sure you, it passes through your head of units. You understand? So that make sure, you know, that, is, that was the first time I was, you know, introduced to censor censorship. You know, that is when I knew, oh, so if I have to do something, I have to pass this through somebody. What if that thing is about that person? So that means my cartoon can't, so well, well, I didn't let that actually kill the zeal in me. I started drawing it and, you know, I got, you know, popular right from uh, that time. So I can say, back to your question, sorry for dragging it too long. So I can say that it's actually something that's inborn, you understand? It's actually inborn. I have the zeal to express, you know, what I have around me in visual form. So that because to me, I believe that art is the mirror that mirrors the society. And I mean, cartooning, we actually show the power brokers what they're actually doing, if it is right or wrong. So, um, and uh, like I said, you know, I got the passion from the ability or the creative ability to always express what is around me in my society. And it started right from when I was very, very young. Thank you. Perhaps I could just come in here and, 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 and probe a bit about the particular political terrain for the cartoonist in Nigeria. Um, you've written um, about the great Nigerian cartoonist Mike Asukwo, and you yourself have published quite a number of cartoons about, for instance, the conundrums of the Nigerian national flag and various politicians, as you just mentioned. You started off with President Obasanjo. How do you navigate the, this particular political terrain? You mentioned attempted censorship, and sometimes critics will say that the cartoonist can be self-censored. Uh, so that are there particular issues that you feel you can't draw a, a cartoon about in Nigeria? And so how do you come to terms with, uh, with this political terrain and how it may be changing today? Um, well, um, every now and then, you know, uh, cartoonists will always faced with that kind of um, decision, you know, to maybe to... Uh, to do something cartoon form okay this is what is actually going on in the society okay how do i put this and um i think one of the weapons that we've uh, we are blessed with is actually the weapon of imageries the visual imageries so and that has uh, really really helped uh, us as cartoonists to you know to pass information to the society subliminally you understand you know you can actually put there are some things we may not we may want to say about uh, the power brokers, okay, will now, you know, use a particular imagery that can be interpreted in several ways. So now, when I'll put it to you, if you actually know what I'm talking about, definitely, you know the meaning. But if you don't want to pick me on that meaning, I'll, I'll tell you that, no, but can't you see that it means this thing as well? So that's what I'm talking about. So we use these imageries as weapons to, you know, like I said, to represent some things that are, you know, uh, quote-unquote, unrepresentable. 
So and uh, we can like we know the you know some of the great uh, cartoonists you know in Africa like Zapiro, Mikasuko, and all that. We've seen that they are very very uncompromising in terms of you know representing the hills in the society. But whenever it comes to lawsuits, you know, on them that okay you've represented the president like this, how do you then it is you know the cartoonists always have that power to dodge behind the use of imagery. That no, that is not what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Because what you see of the world depends on the perspective, depends on the way you look at it. So that is not what I'm saying, even though I know that is what I'm saying. So that has actually given us the power to, you know, to say anything, to lampoon any, any, anybody. So, and we uh, to also, you know, go further, a little bit further on that. I think some of us also, you know, make use of uh, images from our folklore, you know, from folklore from uh, cultures you know symbols and all that because even the the concept of cartooning you know is actually in africa is actually it relies more on the uh, on the traditions of satire you know like in yoruba for example there is tradition of efe and gelede so and it's a kind of uh, satirical performances whereby you know performers you know satirize even the king and the king will be laughing so, but some people that actually know that, ah, this performer is satirizing the king, they, they, they know, and they'll be laughing as well. So maybe later when the king gets to his room and was, you know, ruminate over the issue, I'll be like, ah, this person is, but the king dares not, you know, talk about it as, at, that, at that particular time when the performer is actually doing it, because the performer would have quoted this in verbal imageries. And what, what are some of these imageries? I mean, we will link to your cartoons yeah. on the website. Yeah. Maybe you could just paint some of them for the listeners and also perhaps elaborate a little bit on Galede. Okay, okay. For example, you know... Like, like I'm, I'm thinking of uh, uh, the previous president's hat. Okay, okay. You mean uh, from South Africa or Nigeria? Nigeria. Nigeria, yeah. okay. Um, well, uh in most african cartoonists you know we make use of i mean we make use of the concept of um deterritorialization that is what uh Ekoi Leombe actually called that particular style and we what that means is that we can actually look at a particular story you know a story of tortoise is common in africa you know tortoise uh snail and all that and we know that okay in this particular story this is the plot this is the storyline this is the uh, the protagonist and this is the antagonist. Then we can situate the president, for example, in a particular context that relates to that story. So everybody that knows, you know, the story can easily affiliate, you know, can really easily relate with the story that, oh, mm. ah, <laughs> Obasanjo is now the tortoise. Ah, this person is now this, this person is this. So we make use of that a lot. So, and in one of my cartoons that I did for, um, on Nigerian independence, that was in... Um, 50th independence of Nigeria. That was like uh, five years ago. So, and I made use of the imageries of an adult who is actually acting like a baby. You understand? The person, if you look at uh, the person, the physical fitness, every, everything is like a 50-year-old adult, but that is still sucking his thumb. So, and uh, that is a very powerful imagery and is one of, uh, I think, Professor Tejo Laninyon actually uh, wrote something about that cartoon. You know, and uh, it is a kind of symbolism that is actually recurring in Nigerian cartooning, you know, and it comes 
often and often during Nigeria independence. I know we'll still see something like that in the in, in October 1st, when Nigeria celebrates its independence. So we make use of this image because we believe that, okay, Nigeria is actually the giant of Africa, you know, used to be the giant of Africa. And recently, you know, Nigeria is, uh, is like the largest economy, you know, in Africa. But at the same time, we still have a lot of challenges. So this is like, you know, an old man that is still, you know, crawling, you know, and, you know, this is, a, a particular imagery. Then also, sometimes we make use of uh, imageries from popular culture, especially if we want to uh, express a particular cartoon and we want a lot of people to, to relate with it. So then we take something from popular culture. That means something, a particular element from uh, the media, for example, advertising, you know, a particular element. Then we situate that within the context of the person we want to satirize. So by the time people look at the symbol, they are like, oh, for example, the use of uh, the absolute vodka bottle, you know, for to, to satirize uh, King Swati from Swaziland by Zapiro. That is a very powerful use of imagery. Mm. You, you, because the absolute vodka is uh, has 40% alcohol, alcohol content. So, and it's believed that the king is actually drunk, is power drunk. So that is the use of imagery. So many, so many use of imagery, you know, to actually, <laughs> to actually hide our, you know, uh, to avoid being, uh, being sued, sort of. You can say in a single drawing what a scholar might take many pages to Exa say. Exactly, exactly. And building on this, in your African Studies Center talk a few days ago, you made this fascinating comparison of Asuko in Nigeria and Zapiro in South Africa, yeah, the author yeah. of the cartoon you just mentioned, uh, during the first decade of the 21st century. Can you elaborate on the similarities in the two cartoonists' political roles at a time of democratic consolidation in these two very different African nations? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, these uh, great cartoonists have a lot of um, things in common, a lot. Um, the first is uh, they are people, you know, that to me, they've actually taken artistic responsibility because we, like um, a particular scholar puts it that there are several, there are different types of artists. There are some, you know, that believe in solving the problems of aesthetics through the use of strokes, colors, and all that. But others believe in solving the problems of the society through the use of strokes and colors. So, and these are the people that have actually taken artistic responsibility. So I really, really believe in that statement. And also, Chino Achebe, you know, in, his, in his, uh, the book he wrote before he died, of Blessed Memory, uh, there was a country. Chino Achebe said that uh, if a society is healed, you know, the artist has the right to point it out. So these people, Zapiro, Mike Asuko, and, you know, several other cartoonists in Africa, Gadu, uh, Victor Asuwata, there are so many, you know, they've actually taken that responsibility of bringing out the hills in the society. Now, back to Asuko and Zapiro, which I used as my case study. There are so many similarities. First is in the use of imageries. There are so many cartoonists. And um, like I said that day, you know, cartoon comprises two major elements, the visual elements and the textual or verbal elements. So now we can, they, these two elements complement one another. So, and we may not be able to, you know, treat one in isolation of the other. But at the same time, uh, you know, some scholars believe that the, the, a very good cartoonist make use of 
visual imagery more than textual elements. A worthy cartoon is actually not a creative cartoon. So some people, cartoon that is just full of textual elements. So because a cartoon should be able to, you know, appeal to people, not only the literate, you know, people should be able to also relate with the visual elements. And that is one thing. The secondly, imageries can actually say a lot about so many things within the little space. It can say a lot and it can be, you know, interpreted in several ways that even the cartoonists may not even know. So these two cartoonists make use of visual imageries more. So that means they have, you know, repertoire of visual imageries more than the use of textual elements. That is one thing. Also, because of the fact that they, their style is very, very unique. Um, Zapiro's style is unique, even though, you know, like yesterday when I was going through Gado's work, Dembo Crazy, that book, crazy. exactly. When I was going through the work and I'm, you from, know. From Kenya. From Kenya, yes, yeah. thank you. I was seeing some similarities between Gado and Zapiro. That means even in terms of the use of imageries, you know, I'm seeing similarities, even though there are still some differences. But Zapiro has a very unique style. And uh, like I said, you know, I argued that his style is actually evolved from his knowledge of comic art. Because if you look at Zapiro's work, you know, you can see this is actually linear in nature. The use of lines, shading, cross-hatching and all that. And the, you know, the, the perfect use of chiaroscuro. That, that means the difference between the light and shade of drawings and all that. So it's very, very unique and very, very popular. So, and Zapiro is detailed, you know, does a lot of detailing in his work. If Zapiro wants to do just a pen, Zapiro will draw that pen to detailing and all that. It takes his time, even though he's very, very busy. So, and I really appreciate that in him. Likewise, Asuko's work is uh, painterly because he uses uh, lavish colors. And at the same time, you know, the use of colors are not just, you know, for his, his use of colors sets is, is the mode of his work. You know, you can actually get the feel of Asuko's work from his use of colors. And the use of colors are symbolic, highly symbolic. Even though Asuko started from being monochrome, that means the use of black and white to coloring. And Zapiro too make use of colors in his works, but they are very, very, you know, you can, we can actually count the numbers of cartoons that Zapiro's have done, you, you know, with, with, that's uh, not in black and white. So they are controversial in terms of their, the theme which they address. You know, like uh, Francis uh, Nyamjo, you know, from uh, Cameroon puts it that Zapiro is uncompromising when it comes to, you know, satire, that Zapiro is fearless, you understand, in, you know. So this actually caught my attention. So, and that is why I looked at his work and against Mike Asuko. In terms of international audience and all that, I know that Mike Asuko is still coming up there. It's not as popular, you understand, as Zapiro. But at the same time, Mike Asuko is actually has a lot of potentials, you know, to be, because, um, you know, like, like Zapiro, Mekasuko is one of the few Nigerian cartoonists that is making use of the multi-channel uh, means of getting his cartoons to the audience. Z Asuko is on Twitter, if you you know on Twitter, Instagram, every other means of you know getting his um, cartoons across to the public, and this is part of you know uh, what I'm actually looking at. You know, a cartoonist that is popular, the use of visual imageries, and that is also uncompromising in satirizing 
what is actually in uh, there in the socio-political realities. So I think I've answered the question. <laughs> I, I, in your talk last the, week, you had a yeah. wonderful cartoon of Mike Osukwo, uh with Nigeria represented uh, as this sort of mythical beast. Yeah. Uh, with a sort of a dinosaur and a camel. And a camel, st yeah. Stitched together, yeah. which was very memorable. And so mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, that vi I'd like to turn uh, again to this visual aspect. And, of course, you are an artist as well as a scholar. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, in your talk to the African Studies Centre last week, you, you addressed theoretical aspects of cartooning. And, frankly, uh, Historically, cartoonists and scholars of cartooning have always had to grapple with this almost prejudiced by people in fine arts or high scholarship who have uh, looked down their nose at cartooning in many ways. But you, you dazzled us by um, your survey of the you know, theory of visual semiotics, invoking the works of Saussure and Barthes and... Mm. Uh, and uh, about these visual semiotics, and, and you've just mentioned the use of colour by Mike Asukwo, and one could think of um, the way in which uh, Zapiro uses repetitive symbols, like with Jacob Zuma and mm, the shower head, and you elaborated that very well. But coming back to this imagery in Nigeria itself, when people think about Nigeria today in the, in the north, they often think about the stereotypes of, say, Boko Haram, yeah. the abduction of children and these sorts of things. And I wonder if you have thoughts on the application in this visual world of these sorts of aspects of politics to do with, with, with violence and conflict, like, say, the police or Boko Haram. I think there is um, something that uh, I missed from um, Peter Alleges question, which I, I remembered when you were talking about, you know, my, my sojourn with being a professional cartoonist and being a cartoon scholar, mm. which I remembered. I think I'll, I'll start from there before going to your <laughs> today. Sure. Yeah, I think my interest, you know, I was first a cartoonist before becoming a cartoon scholar. So when I was at the graduate school, when I started my master's, you know, I, when I was thinking of what to do, you know, what to actually research on for my master's thesis, you know, I had so many options. I was looking at, okay, because I did graphics design. So I was looking at, okay, the use of, okay, graphics, the symbols and all that and this and that. So then when we were discussing, you know, myself and my colleagues, my friends and all that, and some of them, one person just said, ah, what's Jim Guy, you're a cartoonist. I write on cartoon. Right on cartooning, we've never heard of so anything like that before. We've never, and I was like, okay, let me pick it up. And I went to the library, I started researching on it, and I discovered that there was no um, serious, you know, attention paid to the you know, cartooning. So that was the first thing I discovered. You know, then secondly, 90% of what was written on cartooning was not actually written by, uh, from artistic point of view. You know, from most of the time, from a um, sociological point of view, from linguistic point of view, from not from artistic. And I was like, wow, this, you know, and some analysis, you know, I discovered that, okay, maybe because of the fact that I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a cartoonist, you know, I discovered that some analysis were wrong in terms of, you know, how some people analyze the use of, you know, imageries or even the use of textual metaphors and all that. I was like, no. So I have to, you know, do something about this. Then I started researching into cartooning, you know, uh, from art historical perspective. And lo and behold, I couldn't see anything written from art historical perspective. 
if I pick up any artistry book, nothing on cartooning, nothing, nothing. I was like, wow, this is serious. So I went to meet my supervisor. So I told her, so, and she was like, okay, yeah, that, is, that would be very, very good. So let's start something. That was how I started. And the deeper, you know, the, the deeper I go, you know, it's like the more I know that I've not actually known anything. You understand? So the more, <laughs> so I, I, that was actually how that started. Now, going back to the issue of, uh, I'm sorry, I, I forgot, the Boko Haram. Boko Haram, say, or the police, uh, and how okay. the cartoonists can cartoon such things. As the issues are break, very sensitive uh, issues are breaking all around our heads. Cartoonists are also conscious of the fact, or some cartoonists you know, are conscious of the fact that uh, some people may mis uh, misinterpret their cartoons, mm. and you know, which may lead to societal, you know, which may lead to chaos in the society. Like you know, we've seen several cases, you know, 2005 cartoon protests throughout the world about uh, Mohammed cartoon, the Charlie Hebdo saga, and yeah. all that. But mm. I've discovered, you know, through my research, I discovered that most of these cartoons are not actually what people think they are. Most problems come from communication breakdown, you know, visual literacy, which is which I said, you know, in my last presentation that is very, very important for us to understand a cartoon. So when cartoonists want to represent sensitive issues, even even though I believe that there are, uh, there is freedom of speech, fine. But at the same time, I believe that, you know, uh, if cartoonist has a kind of power, but, you know, Absolute power, like Socrates said, you know, corrupts absolutely. You understand? So if you are not careful about what you are representing, it can actually cause chaotic situation. So now, coming down to the issue of representation of uh, some things in Nigeria and all that, I've represented the police, for example, in my cartoons. That is why some people say that political cartoons are opinion cartoons or editorial cartoons, that they are like the opinion of the cartoonists. It may not be the opinion of the people at that particular, in that particular society. Some people believe that. While some scholars believe that, no, you know, cartoonists can actually uh, have a feel of what people are saying about a particular uh, topic, then the cartoonist will put that thing out. So, like I said, you know, I've uh, represented several things, even the issue of Boko Haram, you know, I've represented Boko Haram in my cartoons. And uh, it is normal, you know, I've received a lot of, you know, different, you know, uh, threats, even from within my university community, which I, you know, and I don't tell my wife this because, you know, you'd be like, no, stop this, don't do cartoon again, don't let them do something. <laughs> you, you understand? So I don't discuss with anybody. Whenever I receive any threat or anything, I'll just go to my chief security officer in my school. I'll tell him he has a file for me. I'll just tell him, okay, well, what's the person's phone number? We write the phone number and they follow it up from there. So, which is a normal thing. So, people have in the in Nigeria, for example, like I said, you know, last administration. One thing I appreciated about last administration, that is Jonathan's administration, administration, is because of the fact that the administration was a very free press. Cartoonists express themselves, and Jonathan is actually one of the most satirized, if not the most satirized presidents in Nigerian history because we were so free to do so many things, to satirize him, to do this. He doesn't care. He doesn't... Even there is this very strong cartoon I did, 
when the president was, you know, trying to change the name of University of Lagos on uh, May 29, 2012, on the national TV. Even the president of University of Lagos, which is the vice chancellor, did not even know about this. We were just watching TV and we, our, the name of our school is being changed to Moshud Abiola University. That is University of Lagos. There was problem, there was pandemonium, there was serious. I was on campus, students went on rampage, everybody, lecturers, professors, everybody said no. This is a university that was established in 1962, you know? So, and in 2012, you just want to change, and people knew that the change of name was somehow political, because Moshira Biola came from, you know, I mean, comes from, uh, from the southwestern part of Nigeria, and there has been clamoring that, oh, there's no national edifice that has been named after Moshuda Biola. And Moshuda Biola, uh, you know, died in prison. You know, I'm sorry, I'm also talking about, this is political cartoon we are discussing, so we have to talk about politics. So, you know, Moshuda Biola was believed to have actually won the 1992 election in Nigeria. So, which was, you know, declared to be the, the freest, you know, election in Nigeria. So the general then, Ibrahim Babangida was the one in power and he annulled the election. So at the long run, Mashid Abiola died in prison. So after, the demo after democracy was restored, you know, people have been clamoring that, oh, why can't we have a national monument to, to be named after Mashid Abiola? So Jonathan, out of, I don't know, innocence or whatever, now named University of Lagos, Mashid Abiola University. So I did a cartoon on that, I really, you know, came down on Jonathan that, no, this is, you and it was, the cartoon went viral because the students, it was, the, the school was closed for more than three weeks. The cartoon went viral. I received some, you know, calls, texts, and I said, well, I'm doing what is right. You know, let them come and pick me. I'll call Al Jazeera, you know, and that will make <laughs> me more popular. So we satirize a lot of things, you know, in the society. And because of, like I said, you know, the cartoonists seem to be fearless because of the use of, you know, this wit, humor, and imageries, you know. Cartoonists seem to be, ah, no, ah, this is, you know, that's not what I'm talking about, you know, ah, this is what I'm talking about, you know, but people know what you are talking about. This makes me think of an earlier podcast we did with the Botswana uh, cartoonist Teboho Motswetla. Uh, who often uses uh, Setswana uh, in his cartoons to convey uh, deeply cultural messages. Um, I noticed you use pidgin in, in your text, in your yeah. cartoons, uh, as well as uh, English as the lingua franca of, yeah. of polyglot Nigeria. Uh, how do those language choices shape your art as a cartoonist? Mm. Yeah, because the the essence of you know of doing a cartoon is for for it to be disseminated to the wider audience for you know as you know wide as wide as possible. So and because of the fact that you know I am based in Lagos and Lagos is very very cosmopolitan. You know there are so many you know people in Lagos and uh, if you want to actually let your cartoon have a kind of um, local you know, language, that means you've actually secluded your audience to that particular, uh, you know, language is the means of communication. So that means these are the people you are communicating with. So that means you've, you've mapped out some other people. So that is first reason why I, I use English, which is like the lingua franca, like you said. Then also, I discovered that there are some uh, people speak 
pigeon in Lagos, even more than English. That is what I later discovered. So, and I think people uh, relate more, you know, when some part of uh, the, uh, the uh, textual elements are in pigeon, you know, there's a part, there's, there's a way you can add humor, you know, when you write something in pigeon, even more than English, sort of, you know, so, and that is why sometimes I use pigeon, so then sometimes I use English. Then there was a time I was confused that, okay, which one will I, you know, I want to actually be based on a particular one because first, um, okay, I'm a cartoonist, I'm an academic, so, you know, I teach graphic design, I teach cartooning, so where do I, then later I resulted into the use of just English. So that is how, you know, it evolved. And I think most of the cartoons that you see, you know, that uh, come from Nigeria are either in pidgin or in, in English. So, and I believe that we have some local, some cartoons that are written in lo local languages as well. So, which uh, I believe we have that as well. So then, as we were actually coming here, I was even thinking of, you know, doing some cartooning in my local language, Yoruba which because I saw, you know, relevance in that, you know, based on our, you know, discussion earlier on, I see that it's very, very important, you know, for us to also, because, you know, all these things are cultural elements and one way or the other, we are preserving, you know, uh, elements of the culture in, we are documenting them in this form. Um, for example, if you listen to the songs, you know, the music, the Nigerian contemporary music, there are lots of, you know, uh, cultural, elements that are being documented within the music. So that means in 20 years time, 30 years time, we can see that, oh, they said something in that music. What is the meaning of that thing that, at that particular period? So I think I, this is high time I started infusing that kind of elements in my work as well, so that it can serve as cultural elements, you know, that can stand the test of time. Thank you. Just to bring things to a close, perhaps I could end by asking you about the future of cartooning in Nigeria. And today, many cartoonists across Africa have their own websites or blogs, and others are even developing animated cartoons. Um, how do you see the future of cartooning? Wow, thank you. Um, the future is very, very bright because I think uh, a lot of... Um, Scholars are concentrating on, you know, African political cartoons, on the study of African political cartoons now. And also because we can, people can now see the relevance of cartooning in the society. Not only in terms of satire, political cartoons, also in terms of comic illustrations, you know, to illustrate certain things in the society. For example, when the Ebola saga actually happened in Nigeria, that was in July 2014, several illustrators, several cartoonists were commissioned, you understand, to illustrate how you can prevent Ebola, how you can do this, how you can do that. And these imageries were distributed. I was one of you know, the people that were commissioned. And I, I even I volunteered to actually do some illustrations for my school, University of Lagos, which I did. You know, I disseminated it with, um, to students and all that. So these illustrations illustrated how people can prevent Ebola, how they can do that. And these things were being disseminated in the rural areas where, you know... This the, is on TV or...? No, 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 no. In, in form of... Okay, we have the animations yeah. that were done, you know, that were done on TV. Yeah. So also radio jingles and all that. And uh -huh. we, we, you know, we, we have some that were illustrated and distributed in leaflets, like flyers, mm -hmm. pamphlets. Mm -hmm. And these ones actually 
uh, went far because there were areas, rural areas where there was no radio, no TV, and all that. But when people can, okay, see, oh, this is illustration. Oh, this is Ebola. Ah, don't do it. We even, you know, appropriated several symbols to replicate or to illustrate Ebola, to to show how fearful Ebola is. So even if anybody doesn't actually know what Ebola, but by the time we represented uh, represent that Ebola with like the figure of devil, for example. You're like, ah, no, Ebola is this, Ebola is devilish, Ebola is this and all that. So uh, I think because of the fact that, you know, cartooning, people have started seeing the relevance of cartooning in the society. So, and this is really, really helping. So, and also we have some uh, young, um, some young, you know, scholars, youths and all that, that are also majoring in illustrations. So, and these people are actually going back to our culture, you know, to bring so many several elements of culture, you know, and do that and illustrate that so that we can preserve our culture. Like um, last year, there was a comic symposium that was held in University of Lagos. So comic symposium and all that where people come together. But that one is more on comic, you know, comic as a sequential art that tells a story and all that. And I was just I just received it, uh, a email this morning that they held the, the, this year's uh, particular uh, comic uh, seminar. That was um, two days ago. So it's just a kind of workshop, comic workshop, I mean, a com kind of workshop whereby comic artists come together, then children come together, they teach them how to draw, how to do this, how to do that. It's been headed by Ajo Elegbara. He's, he's on Facebook. He's a very popular, popular guy on Facebook. So they are really, really working you know, on, on how to sustain uh, you know, the the tempo of comic and all that. And also, um, I'm also happy, you know, that we have a cartoon museum, you know, in uh, in Benin, in Benin. So we have that as well. And we will also, you know, work tirelessly to make sure that it's, it doesn't, you know, it's not one of the, you know, kind of uh, thing that will come and go eventually. So I think if we can actually sustain this tempo, so, and I also appreciate, and like, uh, I also need to, you know, appreciate MSU as well, you know, for inviting me as a visiting scholar, because this really, really helped, because MSU has one of the, you know, largest collection, you know, of comic art and comic and cartoon, you know, and materials and cartooning and all that. A lot of materials I've not, I just heard of them, I've not seen them, you know, when I came here, and, you know, I appreciate Randy Scott as well. <laughs> so, you know, for, you know, keeping all this, this is, you know, this is, uh, this is really, really great. So I believe that we are, we are getting there. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an exciting, if sometimes tricky time to be a cartoonist in Africa. Mm. Uh, thank you, Keniyu. Uh, thank you, Jimga, for talking to Africa past and present. Mm. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Africa Past and Present is a co-production of Matrix, the Center for Digital Humanities and Social Sciences, and the Department of History at Michigan State University. Technical assistance is provided by the Matrix Digital Media Lab. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at afropod.aodl.org. The podcast is also available on iTunes. You can also send us email at africa.podcast.com at matrix.msu.edu. Thanks for listening. <laughs>